0: Hello and welcome to the 40 Drinks Podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie McLaughlin. Sometime in the years before or around or even after our 40th birthday, many of us start to feel what I started calling the ick. Like some part of our life no longer fits and you don't know what to do about it. I know that was true for me and I fought against it, which only made it a messier process. But having 40 drinks with 40 people over the course of a year helped me escape the influence of that ick. On this podcast, I welcome you to tap into my stories and experience, as well as those of my guests, to help you emerge from your own ick and maybe even avoid some of the mistakes we made along the way. My mission is to make it common cultural knowledge that there is a transition most of us face around age 40 and then showcase so many versions of that transition that every single person approaching or recently turned 40 with dread in their heart knows that they are not alone. Today, my guest is Amy Sai, who found herself unable to achieve what she wanted to professionally, which led her to wondering what was holding her back. And that led to some interesting realizations, which she's been working her way through for the past few years. Hi, Amy. It's nice to meet you. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Stephanie. Thank you so much for having me. It's truly my pleasure. Last week, I talked to my guest, Rachel, about dad stuff. And I think today we're going to talk about some mom stuff. Am I right? Yes, we are. (laughs) Some really good stuff. Juicy. Really good stuff. Okay. So why don't we start by setting up the story just a little bit. Tell me a little bit about sort of like childhood, early adulthood, get us to where our story starts.
1: Right. Well, as I recall being a child, I was always very happy. I never felt like I was lacking in anything. So I seeked attention when I wanted it. I didn't have problems socializing with other children. I always felt like I got what I needed. Until, (laughs) until, until, until if I can jump back, like now in the present moment, you know, I started my business in December, 2019, and I struggled with my business. I knew that I was missing something, but I didn't know what it was. And the missing piece was really trying to figure out who I am Mm. because who I am was really the reflection of my business. Right. Yes. Yeah. I was looking to earn so much money and it just wasn't happening. I wasn't able to help the women that I wanted to help. I wasn't earning the
0: income that I wanted to earn. So, you know, back to the drawing board, right? I also started a business in 2007, kind of went out on my own. And so I know from my experience and the early years are always tough. So let's just sort of leave that as a baseline, but... Was it for you kind of like dig, 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 work, work, work harder, harder, harder to just try and like churn what you wanted to churn? Were you doing that and spinning your wheels? Or were you smart enough to say something's not quite right here? Let me figure that out. It was both, actually. (laughs) I was like, push harder,
1: work harder, do more, do more, be more, you know, all that stuff. Yep. But also, for the last 18 years in my life, I also had an energy healer. He was a healer who I've been seeing. And my stepdaughter had moved in with us and I had always struggled with the the dynamics of my husband, his daughter and I. And he once said to me, goes, your business is not going to do well until you overcome that peace. And I'm like, well, what does that have to do with anything?
0: Right. (laughs) Right. I'm smart. I'm a hard worker. I do the right things. Come on. I'm yeah, doing all the right, right things. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. But what ended up happening was, is the
1: issues I had around the harmony amongst my family was really a reflection. She was a reflection of me. And even though we were talking about mummy stuff, there was also daddy stuff that he was a reflection of my father. So literally it was like looking in a mirror every time there was conflict in the house. right? Oh. So if I can't help myself and figure who I am, how I'm going to help others, even though right. I have been doing it for
0: 20 years in my fitness business. Right. Right. Oh, God. Okay. So you started your business in 2019 and you're 50. What was your career before that? Yeah. So I'm a fitness trainer. So I trained clients in fitness in terms of for strength,
1: weight loss, and yep. you know the usual stuff that most of my clients were women back then as well.
0: Okay. So you just had gone from being a trainer somewhere to being out on your own.
1: No, I was always a trainer for myself. I'd work for myself. And then I went from a trainer to a health coach, oh. so less about fitness and more about mindset stuff, right? Overcoming emotions
0: and emotional eating and that sort of stuff. Oh, yeah. okay. So how had the fitness business gone though? Was that successful? It, it, it wasn't
1: bad. It never got to where I wanted it to go. Mm. And I couldn't understand why either because it was like, I'm a hard worker. I wake up at 5. I work till 8 p.m. And it was like the same kind of thing. Right. But I wasn't thinking how that's going to change in relation to my new business. I just thought, well, I can't train clients forever because it's very physical. Right. I need to transition into more of a coach role so it's a little bit more sustainable for me. And then I also wanted to help women over 40 because of our hormonal issues and weight loss and all the struggles that women have, not just in our forties and fifties, but it starts at a very young age, as we all know, right?
0: Right. Yes. Okay. So now I'm completely understanding because your business for 20 years before that was about the body. Yes. And when you started in 2019, it was about the mind. Yes. And so that's where you kind of got a little hung up because you couldn't figure out why the recipe wasn't working, even though you had all the ingredients. Exactly. Exactly. Your special sauce was off. Yes, it was so (laughs) off. Okay. So you're starting this new business and you know something's off and your husband has told you something that you sort of have no idea how to comprehend. Where do you even go? What do you do? How do you start I know. Right.
1: Well, that's a big question. I mean, luckily I had my healer, so Mm -hmm. he's known me for 18 years. I had also hired three coaches.
0: (laughs) Tell me which kinds,
1: what do you got? What do you got? It got very expensive. I had a business coach, I had a communication coach and had a sales coach. Okay. And they all kind of overlapped. Yep. Right? In some way. So they talked about all the practicalities of business like marketing and sales and what have you, but they also overlapped in the mindset piece. Okay. So that's what got me on the train of like there's something missing. There's must something missing. I got to figure it out.
0: Mm-hmm. Right?
1: So that's kind of how I started
0: searching for answers. Okay. And what did you find first on your search for answers after the coaches, of course? Where'd you start? Where did I start was a lot of
1: reading, a lot of books, anything on meditation, anything on, you know, goal achieving that's related to mindset work. Mm -hmm. What's a good one? Psycho-cybernetics was a great book, talked Mm -hmm. about a lot about mindset. There's a whole bunch of books that I read and it was everything had to do with mindset work. It wasn't the practicalities of it. Mm -hmm. So it's about belief in yourself. Mm -hmm. And I'm a happy, jolly person every day. So I never thought that everything was bothering me. Right. And clearly, something was in my way mm-hmm. and I couldn't figure out why. And I realized, oh my goodness, it's me. <laughs> it's my belief system. Even though on the surface, my belief system is this happy, jolly, hardworking person, but it's this inner, deep stuff that was getting in my way. And it was through a lot of like time in my mind and in my body. So the pandemic just came at the perfect moment because we couldn't go out. So I went in. <laughs> right. So it was perfect. I was happy not to go out I was happy to meditate. I meditated like an hour, two hours, three hours a day wow. and yeah. And just sat there with myself. So meditation could be, it's just really sitting with yourself and waiting for things to come to the surface. And I just asked a lot of questions. One thing about me is I've always been very inquisitive, inquisitive about the outside world. And in some cases, always wondered about myself. But a lot of times it took a long time for me to get the answers. Mm -hmm. And bit by bit, the answers came during the pandemic when I went inward instead of outward.
0: So that was really opportune. Okay. So we're in the pandemic. We all know what that was like and just sort of everybody being at home with nothing to do. But how does one meditate for two hours a day or three hours a day? What's even, again, the practicalities of that? What does that look like? I know, right? It's mind boggling. I've always dabbled in meditations. 18
1: years ago, I started dabbling in it. And I didn't really have a a community of people that I could talk to. I just was a girlfriend of mine. She was very good with her third eye, which is kind of like the inward eye where she can kind of predict the future and see the past and all that kind of stuff. And I kind of played around with it, but I didn't really know what was happening. So I kind of took a break there for quite a while because I met my husband. I've always felt like I was being distracted and it was really hard to meditate. And then once I figured out I needed to quiet down, I basically said, this is what I got to do. I'm going upstairs and uh, don't bother me. (laughs) until i come out and the easiest way to do is to actually follow a guided meditation Mm -hmm. if you can find something that's at least 20 minutes or 30 minutes long or even longer that's more ideal Mm -hmm. however the marketplace right now there's a lot of short meditation which is not bad either right but people feel like they have to complete a meditation for them to feel good about it but you can like do a 30 minute meditation and just come out at 20 minutes or 10 minutes and it'd be okay
0: Right, right. We don't always have to accomplish and finish. As a matter of fact, in meditation, that's probably the opposite of what you're supposed to do.
1: (laughs) But I remember the first time I meditated, I didn't last 10 seconds. Mm -hmm. I literally didn't last 10 seconds. All of a sudden, these thoughts come flooding in. Then you just push it aside and just keep pushing it aside and just can't get hung up on these thoughts that keep coming in. You just gonna go, oh, there's another one. And you push it aside. And over time, you learn to create a, like a longer meditation. And for a lot of people, it's challenging. So, what I usually suggest is meditation or deep breathing. Something mm-hmm. to focus on might be a little bit easier for some people. Mm-hmm. But I also did do a lot of work with Dr. Joe Dispenza. I'm not sure if you're familiar with him. I've heard the name. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, he's big into meditation. And I went to a couple of his retreats. And basically, it's a week long retreat where all you do is meditate.
0: Oh, God. (laughs) Good for you.
1: But the thing is, is, you know, when there's a thousand people doing the meditation, the energy and the vibe of everybody meditating, it kind of sucks you in a little bit. Yeah. So you learn to meditate for long periods of time. Okay. And during that inward period, loss can happen. So it's literally, if you're outside looking into this conference room of a thousand people, you're like there's like nothing going on here because people are just sitting in a chair. But in your own mind, you're like,
0: wow. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's helpful, because that means that you had some, let's call it training and guidance. You went to meditation school, essentially, when you went to these retreats. So this was something that you had at least a sense of, quote unquote, how to do it. Right. And, yeah. And, and I know there's no wrong way to there's meditate, no way. but I think for a lot of people, if you don't meditate, the first couple of times you do it, you think, well, I'm doing it wrong. And the monkey brain starts to chatter and you go, yes. well, obviously I can't yes. meditate. I'm one of those people who can't. Right. So I'm just trying to get into how you sort of dove into, and again, the pandemic helped by clearing the slate, but how yes. you dove into some, some pretty significant space and time spent inward. Yes. Yes. And
1: there's lots of people out there that offer meditations Wayne Dyer has some online mm-hmm. meditations that are good, but there's a whole slew of people out there yeah. providing longer meditations and guided ones are easier because it, it allows you to focus on something versus focusing on nothing when you're right. to that
0: monkey brain all the time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so here you are investing in this meditation and spending this time. And tell me what kinds of questions you started asking. You said you were curious. What kinds of questions did you start asking and looking for answers to?
1: Right, so why can't I make six figures? You know, I'm busting my tail, like we all are. Mm -hmm. Like, why, why is it so hard? Like, what's going on? Why can't I break six figures? Why is that? Mechanically, you're doing all the right things. So what's the problem? So you start asking yourself, and then you start asking yourself, like, why did I end up with, you know, my husband and all the experience that I've had in my life? when I realized, okay, I broke up with every single man that I dated. Like nobody dumped me. I dumped them all. <laughs> why was that? And it was fear of being hurt or not good enough, or, you know, just all these other personal issues that you don't realize are happening until after the fact, until you actually Sit quiet in your mind and really understand why these things are happening. And it's because of my childhood experiences, right? Okay. And I found out from my mother about three months ago, yeah, about three months ago, that she didn't pick me up as a baby. She didn't pick me up as a baby, not because she was trying to be a bad mom. She had my brother first, who was 11 months older, and every time she put him down, he started crying. So she never got a break. So she felt like she had to carry this baby around. And now she's got another one. <laughs> so she thought, okay, you know what? She's fine. She's been fed. She's been changed. She'll quiet down and eventually fall asleep. Well, that changed everything for me when she told me that. Because I remember when I was about three years old, we were in Japan at a zoo. And the giraffe thought that she had something in her hand, like food. So the giraffe was coming towards her hand. And she's holding me in the other arm. And I was like, no, don't, don't get your hand down I was afraid that this animal was gonna take her hand away right and she kept teasing me so I, I could feel the frustration and it came up in meditation and literally what happened was in meditation I was literally back in my three-year-old self and I could feel myself wiggling in my mom's arm like as if it was that exact moment 50 years ago right so it was that frustration of trying to get her to listen to me right and how that showed up in all my life and then for her to tell me that she didn't pick me up as an infant i realized that that frustration started when i was an infant Mm. the moment i was born to probably i could walk that frustration of calling and crying for your mother that never came Mm.
0: you know what i mean yeah and then
1: that instance at the zoo and then my frustrations with all my relationships yeah, you know, because I always felt that same level of frustration. I'm not getting what I need. I'm not getting what I want. So I would break up with them until the next, the next man, until the next man, until the next man. Mm. Until all of a sudden I was like, I just why I, I broke up with every single one of them. Why that's so bizarre, right? Usually mm. at some point, you know, one breaks up with it's, it's kind of equal or whatever, right, right. You know, but it's never yeah. so one sided.
0: Yeah, over the um, decades it should even out.
1: It should. Even- <laughs> Exactly. And then I was like, oh my goodness. So all that frustration Mm -hmm. of an infant showed up through my entire life, through my work, through my school, through my friends, through my career, through trying to be successful with my business and so on and so on.
0: So there was not a lot of nurturing in your childhood. No. But yet you say it was a happy childhood.
1: Yeah. Like, you know, I played, right? I had friends. I played with my dad. I played with my mom. When I think about it, I never really played with my mom. It was more like my dad when he came home from work, Mm -hmm. you know, so happy to see him and climbing all over him. And it's like, daddy, daddy, like every kid does when their dad walks through the door. Mm -hmm. And I realized that my mom raised me, Mm -hmm. but I never felt like I was cared for or nurtured.
0: Mm. Even though in her eyes she did. Well, that's what I was going to say. Have you mentioned this to her? I haven't yet I'm still trying to
1: you know go like wow yeah yeah and we also and we also have a language barrier so you know we came to Canada we all went to school I was six or seven years old so we went straight to school and my dad told my mom to take English classes and she refused to because she has self-confidence issues self-worth issues right she was afraid of being in a new culture and having to learn and so she didn't learn English well so oh. I speak English fluently, as you can tell, but my yep. Chinese is like very broken and only speak Chinese to my parents. And my mom only speaks Chinese and barely speaks any English. Oh, so yeah. I realized this, like literally just during the pandemic, I realized, oh my goodness, I can't communicate with my mother.
0: <laughs> wow. Had you ever realized that before? No, never. Well, how have pandemic, you communicated? Just broken. Sort of- it's called Chinglish. <laughs> okay. <laughs> And so just day-to-day stuff is fine. You can get by. Yeah. We can can manage. Again, the mechanics of life. Mechanics. Yeah. I mean, you can't really get
1: into deep conversations about anything because there's a a bit of a barrier.
0: Oh. You know?
1: And I was like, oh my goodness, I can't even communicate. The communication is very superficial. You know? Very mechanical. Hmm. So, yeah. How do you feel about that? Well... I mean, it's like, I was kind of heartbroken by it. I was like, wow, look at that. I didn't even realize it until I was 50, 53. It wasn't that long ago. It was literally just a few months. It was literally this year in 2023.
0: Wow. Yeah. Oh my God. Hold on. I'm trying to (laughs) process this. Yeah. Yeah. So it wasn't really until you started doing this internal excavation. Yes. and finding thing and deepening that understanding of yourself. Yeah. that you realized that you couldn't communicate on that level with your mother.
1: Yeah. Like we couldn't have a conversation like this. Yeah. It's more like, "Hey, mom, do you want to come over?" Right? "Come <laughs> have dinner?"
0: Yeah. "Come I'll make see dinner. the kids?" Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. (laughs) You know? Oh, wow. Yeah. So we don't have that deep connection. And I also realized, I was like, wow, I don't really have a close connection with them. It's not deep. It's not close. It's not Mm. nurturing. Mm. And I realized she raised me, but she didn't nurture me Mm. at all. And perhaps because she didn't get nurtured as a kid because she's 82, right? That generation. Right. It's like you have babies and you, you know, they just go and do whatever they have to
0: do. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Wow, I'm really kind of blown away by that realization of not even being able to communicate with her. But for the last 50 years it wasn't an years. issue because you communicated as much as you needed to. Yeah. Do you wish you could communicate with her more in in a deeper way, like have this kind of conversation? Do you wish that you could do that? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I do now
1: because yeah. now you're like, you know what? I'm 53, she's 82. Yeah, And she's my mom. I love -hmm. her to death and she loves me to death, but it just was never developed. Yeah. From the moment I came out. Right. Right. It wasn't something that
0: happened just recently. This is my whole entire life. Do you get a sense of her that in her world over in the Chinese world, is she a deep person herself or? No, she's a child. She's a child herself. Oh, okay. She's a
1: child herself. Why do you say that? like not a deep thinker. Her emotions aren't deep. Yeah. She, it was never developed herself. Okay. It was never developed herself.
0: So even if there was no language barrier, these conversations would probably not be wildly fruitful between the two of you.
1: Perhaps not. Probably not. You know, I just think of what is and what isn't versus what could be. Right. 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 You don't really know what could be. Right. 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 So We're always dreaming to... when we say yeah. that. Yeah. So now I just make the best that I can with the relationship that I do have with her. Mm-hmm. And I could see that she wants more, but she can't express herself. Mm. Yeah.
0: So I know better, but maybe she doesn't know better. And how are you interpreting that she's wanting more? What does that look like? I just hug her.
1: I hug her more. When we sit on the sofa, I sit right up next to her, like as if I was, you know, six. Mm-hmm. My inner child, you know, yeah. I touch her more. I kiss her. Yeah. I do more that way. Yeah. I just show her as opposed to expressing it verbally. Got it. And I could see that she's receptive
0: to that. Hi, we'll get back to the conversation in just a minute. If you're enjoying this episode, I would sincerely appreciate if you would look down at your phone and either rate or share the podcast. The podcast platforms are ruled by algorithms, and one of the major signals they use to determine whether they'll recommend a podcast to other listeners is through likes and shares. So you sharing this with a friend actually kills two birds with one click. I'd also like to take a moment and tell you about a short guide I created that will help you diagnose whether you or someone you love is suffering from what I call the ick. This is that insidious malaise or unease you start feeling sometimes in your 30s or 40s. You don't know what's wrong or, or even how to fix it. For Amy, this showed up in not being able to achieve what she wanted to professionally and in relationship patterns she kept repeating. My guide outlines many of the symptoms and red flags associated with the ick, which will help you find your way out of this unwelcome phase. Download it from my website, 40drinks.com ick. Spell out the word 40, so that's 40drinks.com slash I-C-K. All right, back to Amy, who's going to talk a little bit about how all her introspection changed how she sees herself. So now that you've learned some of this about mm-hmm. yourself, tell me how you have reconciled that with your experiences through your adulthood, you know, in your 20s, and your 30s, and your 40s? How, how does that change the flavor of your experiences or your memories?
1: Well, you realize that you are good enough, right? Because a lot of times people in general, or women especially, we have challenges in terms of achieving in my world, in the health and wellness world, is to get to their ideal body weight and to be happy in their bodies, regardless of their weight and size, right? Mm-hmm. So it's really that internal belief and that we actually are good enough. These are just experiences that happen to us in life. It doesn't put a stamp on us and say that we are good or bad. These are just experiences. So that was probably the biggest lesson. Even though you know it in your brain and in your mind, your body is still feeling that pain. So it's reconciling that piece. It's not so much in the brain world, but in the body world, because in the body for humans is that our body stores all our experiences, good or bad. And right. it, it does put a stamp on there, mm-hmm. right? Right that was a bad experience so therefore it shows up in your entire life like it did for me it Mm -hmm. showed up in terms of not feeling good enough in school so therefore I did not feel good enough to have the relationship that I want not feeling good enough to earn the money that I wanted and not feel good enough to have the things that I want you know like material things or what have you right Mm -hmm. so that's where it all stems from what happened in my infant so I
0: didn't even have a chance (laughs) right right yeah, right at the starting gate. You right heard. at the
1: starting gate.
0: <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, my
1: goodness. So it's reconciling that and go, you know what? I am good enough. These are just experiences. That's all they are. Yeah, That's all they are. You can call them good. You can call them bad. But you can just call them experiences. And they're neither good or bad. It just was. It just right. is. And that right. is it.
0: So you said something about having the mental concept of the experiences and then the body concept where these experiences leave a mark or leave footprints. How is it that you have started to work through some of that piece where, as the book title is, The Body Keeps the Score? Yeah, Um, that's a great book to read. That's my next book. I haven't read it yet.
1: The Body (laughs) Does Keep the Score. Yeah, it does. It does. It does. (laughs) absolutely does right wrong good or bad right yeah. it does keep the score and it's really about reliving those moments because what tends to happen is that we don't allow ourselves to feel mm-hmm. right so therefore it's like emotional eating it's like you're feeling stressed but you don't want to feel stressed so what do you do instead you put food in your mouth for a lot of women right? So instead, you got to allow yourself to feel those emotions. So it's literally layers and layers and layers of this stuff. And it's all interconnected with other emotions. So let's say, for example, for me, it was frustration, could be frustration, not feeling good enough, it could feel anger, or even resentment. So if you had one was frustration, times 10 other emotions, and you multiply that, that's 50 layers that you got to get rid of, you Mm -hmm. just give me a hypothetical, but essentially, that's kind of what it looks like. So bit by bit by bit by bit, I'll allow myself to feel those emotions. And it does diminish, it actually does diminish. I'm actually in a course right now where I teach women to basically get rid of their programs and conditioning. These moments keep repeating itself. Mm -hmm. Right, just like it did for me in school and work and how I earn my income and friends and so on. It keeps repeating itself. So that frustration that I experienced when I was an infant, it kept happening through my whole entire life Mm -hmm. until I deprogram myself from that. And that's how we overcome these types of things.
0: And how do you know that you have deprogrammed? And I know you said you've got a tool you're working with, and that's fine. We don't need to talk about the tool itself. I just want to talk about the outcome of the before and the after. How do you know that it's different? Yes, that's a great question. You don't feel triggered anymore.
1: Because for a lot of women, we know when we're getting triggered for the most part, the general stuff, right? We know when we get triggered, we know what it is, we know what the triggers are. So when we do this work, all of a sudden, you can even just think about that moment, reliving that moment doesn't trigger you. And you're like, Oh, yeah, it was just the moment. It just like passes you by. It's almost like it belongs to somebody else, like somebody telling you that story. Mm -hmm. And then it feels like nothing. Mm. literally you can feel it so when you feel then you know for sure that's what's great about it is that you can deprogram yourself and then you have then it's like emotional freedom
0: mm.
1: right that's what we all want is emotional freedom yeah right because these triggers gets us upset gets us feeling guilt or shame or discomfort of some sort or stress or lonely or whatever or the angry. feelings are right mm-hmm. yeah exactly and it's that emotional freedom that we're all seeking it feels like jail
0: <laughs> sure sure
1: okay right so just keeps happening over and over again and yeah. what tends to happen is the women start beating themselves over the heads my fault i can't do i have no willpower i'm not strong enough blah 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 but it's really not their fault because we haven't been taught the right things we've been taught to believe that it's our fault it's not our fault it's just what happened
0: mm. it's not our fault interesting Yeah, yeah i remember this in my 20s i used to say i have zero willpower like I couldn't even buy willpower at the store. So it's it's funny to hear you say a willpower issue. Yeah, it's not a willpower issue. It's not a willpower issue.
1: No. Interesting. Interesting. No. And motivation is another misunderstood one as well. Okay. We're not, we don't understand motivation and therefore we're not using it to our advantage and therefore we beat ourselves up for not having the motivation. But when we don't understand how motivation comes about, right. then we feel like it's our own fault, right? It's like, I'm not motivated. It must be me. Right. right? Yeah. yeah I- but it's actually action precedes motivation. So let's say you're sitting on the sofa, you come home from work and you know, you should go to the gym. Your brain is going, I should go to the gym.
0: Mm-hmm. Your
1: body's sitting on the sofa going, Oh, it's so comfortable here. <laughs> <Right>? mm-hmm. <laughs> and it says battle. I should go to the gym, but it's so comfortable. I should go to the gym. It's so comfortable. So if your brain's telling you one thing, your body's telling you another brain, body, brain body. It's like world war three happening right there on the sofa. Yep. But if I said, stand up right now and walk to the door, you stand up, you walk to the door and next thing you know, you grab your bags and you're out the door, you go. So the moment you start moving, that battle is just gone. Mm. So the trick that I tell my clients is three, two, one, go. It's like my husband will be like, don't get up. It's 5am. I got to go, right? I got clients to train and people to see and right. he's yanking at me. I'm like, uh-uh. I go three, two, one. I get up off the bed.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Because, of course, I want to lie in bed. It's five in the morning. Right, right. Oh, my goodness. So, you've been working on this now for a couple of years. Tell me how things have changed for you.
1: Oh, yeah. That's a great question. Well, I'm definitely way less stressed. Okay. <laughs> because we both work from home. And mm-hmm. unfortunately, my desk the worst thing you could do, but I don't have a choice at this moment. My desk is in our bedroom. So you could just imagine, right? (laughs) Bad, 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 bad. And I know it. So every time we go on vacation, I would feel completely de-stressed. The moment I come home, I could feel the stress go up and nothing's even happened. It's just the idea of work, being at home and so on. And I started recognizing the difference between stress and no stress, stress and no stress. And through all this work, I started like just taking the, that stress down and just working on myself. Because stress is really a belief, right? It's a belief system. If you're stressed, basically your belief that things aren't going to work out. Mm-hmm. If you're worrying and stressing about something, that's your belief system, mm-hmm. right? So why do you believe that things aren't going to work out? Well, maybe then it goes back to the feeling of worthiness, self-esteem. If I don't feel good enough, you're going to stress and worry. Then you're going to feel it in your body. Like they say, stress is the new smoking. Women are so stressed that they don't even know that they're stressed anymore. Right. I didn't even know it. Right. It's just a baseline. Yeah. I would only go on vacation. I would feel the difference and i mm-hmm. come back. And so I kept going away and coming back just to see what the difference was, see if I can kind of take it down and mm-hmm. really tackling that belief system is really how you de-stress, like to truly de-stress yourself from whatever's going on because there's nothing you can do but whatever's going on we all got to work we all have responsibilities we all got stuff to do right so how do you get rid of stress It's, it's not about doing less it's about tackling that belief system
0: yeah another way i've heard stress described that i really like is stress is the difference between how things are and how you wish they were yes right so if you can just get comfortable with how things actually are, even if they're not how you would like them, then that that's will right. reduce your stress. And even if that means you now know or need to work towards changing how things are, but even just the wishing that things were different, that's what causes stress. Yes. And there's a great book. It's such a great book. The guy's name is David A.
1: Singer, like singer singing singer. Mm-hmm. And it's called The Surrender Experiment. Okay. And he's a yogi, someone that went down that yogic path. Mm -hmm. And he decided to do an experiment and just allow things to unfold, his life to unfold, however it may be. So it's all about letting go. Mm -hmm. His story is quite remarkable. Because I've been asking myself for 18 years, how do you let go? Even my energy healer would be like, Amy, you need to learn how to let go. I'm like, what does that even mean? What does that look like? How do you go about it? Right. What's the mechanics of it?
0: Exactly. And tell me what wisdom he shared with you, because those are all my questions.
1: (laughs) You have to see yourself as you and the rest of the world, right? The rest of the world is moving about whether you're there or not. So Mm -hmm. if I'm at an intersection, that intersection, cars going by, people go crossing there, whether you're there or not, it's happening. Mm -hmm. So if you put yourself in that corner, trying to cross the street, those cars and those people are still going. They're not happening to you. They're happening in front of you. So you don't have to take it on. Right. right? So just allowing things to be, and you're just there in that moment. Right. So you have to be able to separate yourself from the world out there and you yourself and not be affected by it.
0: Right. My friend, April, who was on a bunch of episodes ago, she Mm -hmm. talked about when she started getting a handle on some of her stuff, her baggage, the first way she saw it showing up in her world was patience when she was in the car. Oh, yeah. Because it's exactly what you're saying, right? If you're at that intersection and you want to take a right, but there's all this traffic coming. So now you're getting pissed off and you're yelling at traffic <laughs> because you can't take a right. And it's like, it's got nothing to do with you. That's right. It's, it's like, to do look down the street. And watch the traffic signal down the street because when that turns red, you're going to get a break and you'll yeah. be able to take your right. So it's like yeah. looking further, looking outward, realizing that th- none of that has anything to do with you. That's exactly right. Yeah. And if you can overcome traffic and weather, you're on the right path. Oh, <laughs> nice. All right. A couple of hints. I feel good about both traffic and weather. So <laughs> a couple of checks in my column today. <laughs>
1: All right, Stephanie. Right, Weather's well, there's another one. Oh, it's, yeah. it's so crummy out. Well, it's right. it's not crummy out. It's raining.
0: Right, right. It's the not, ducks love it.
1: Yeah, you know, you decided to add crummy on there, but right. you don't have to. Psycho cybernetics okay. talks about like detachment, sticking to the facts. Is it raining? Yep. Yes, it is. Right, that's it. Yep. Is it raining harder or softer? Okay, mm-hmm. we well, can talk about that. Right. But if it's crummy or not crummy, that has nothing to do with the rain. This is yeah. something that you've decided to describe the, the rainy weather, right? Right. Yep. So if you
0: can overcome rain and traffic, you're good. <laughs> All right. I'm glad to hear that. We're on our way then. So tell me about your business. Has your business flourished since you've been doing this work? Have you seen indications that this work is having an impact in the place that you initially identified it and wanted to have the impact?
1: Yes. It's slowly changing. I use how my business is going as a reflection of myself. Right. Mm -hmm. So do I need to do more work? Do I need to do less work? It's always more work. Right. (laughs) But yes, because there's always layers. There's always layers you can take off. So it's slowly changing for sure. And I'm starting to see a difference because here's the thing. I only want to help women because women understand women. Mm -hmm. And women know what women go through and women know what it feels like to not be happy in their own bodies, whether it's because you're unhappy with your body or because your weight or your size or your shape or whatever it may be, right? It doesn't have to be that way. We're not put on this earth to suffer. We're on this earth to enjoy life and to experience joy and happiness, right? Mm -hmm. And that's my true calling in terms of like, yeah, we don't have to suffer. Suffering is not part of the equation here.
0: And that's what I love to do. One of the things, so you were just saying about how women understand women and some of the experiences, and you had shared a story with me about when you were in school as a small child, you said you were the smallest one in the class. Yeah. Tell me about gym class. Oh yeah. (laughs) Okay. Hopefully all the kids
1: that I went to school aren't listening to this, but. I know they didn't mean anything, but but yeah, I was the smallest kid in my class on the school picture. I was at the, the front row at the very corner so you yep. could, couldn't get any smaller. Right? <laughs> right. So gym class, because I was the smallest, weakest kid, I wasn't very athletic at all. Mm-hmm. So in gym class, the teacher would say, OK, we'll pick two strongest athletes in class and make them team captains. And then they would pick their teams. Well, I was picked last or second last every single time. This is every week of school year for 10 years from grade two to grade 12, 10 years times, I don't know how many weeks of school year, but you get the right. picture yeah. a lot. Yeah. A lot. I would stand there and just cringe because I knew that I was gonna get picked last. And yeah. not only I knew I was gonna pick last, everybody in the classroom knew I was gonna, I realized it didn't matter who was team captain. I was going to be picked last because I'm the smallest. I was the least athletic. I couldn't catch a ball. And I remember it would be volleyball or something. The other team always wants to hit it to me because they knew I, right? And the the moment the ball's coming to me, I'd be like, ah, I'd just be like the sweat that would come over me. Because the fear of not being able to get that ball over the net, right? And that affected my self-worth and my self-esteem for my whole entire life. I didn't go to university right out of high school. I took about three years off. I dated a man that was 16 years older than me when I was 18. I went to university when I was uh, 26. Did it part-time and worked full-time to get me through. Mm -hmm. I couldn't find something that I loved to do. So I changed careers every two, three years. I never lasted anywhere. And every time I quit my job and got another one and quit my job, I end up at my healer. I'd be crying. And one day he goes, he goes, Amy, what makes you happy? I'm like, oh, I love going to the gym. And right then and there, I was like, oh, meanwhile, all my friends have told me <laughs> that I didn't listen. Right. And then that's when I quit everything and I started my training business. And that's all I've done since then. And that was I was probably about 30, I was probably about
0: 36, maybe, 36. Mm. So... For crying out loud, Amy, we talked to see whether you had a transition around 40, and there it is. Well, there it is. There it, there is. it is. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> You're You were going to get a... it out of me sooner or later. I <laughs> knew there was going to be something. You had a, you knew a it. <laughs> career change in yes. your late 30s to late 30s. finally decide to do the thing that you loved. Yes. And the thing was, is I was already doing it part-time. It was really that transition
1: into full-time. Yeah. And that's what it was. And the moment I did that, I was like, yeah, I'm so happy. I could spend 12 hours at a gym.
0: Right. (laughs) Ah. So it was something you were doing part time because you knew you loved it, but you probably, and I'm totally projecting here, but again, going back to the worthiness issue, you probably didn't feel like you could make a business out of it or right. Who am I to decide who am I to be a trainer?
1: Yeah, exactly. Right. Meanwhile, all my friends, Amy, you should be a trainer. I'm like, no. <laughs> right, right. In the end. Oh, yeah,
0: I should be a trainer. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Well, that's like when I started my business. I love this. I left my last full time job and not well, I was escorted to the front door if you catch my drift. And I ended up working with a career coach at the time. Uh, it was a woman I knew, and she sat me down and she said, "This is it. It's time. We're working together, and you will find the money." And so we worked together for a number of months, and we did all these assessments. And I was about the same age as you. I was, I think, I was like thirty six, mm-hmm. and um, and you know, a, a bunch of them I rolled my eyes at because I was like, "I'm thirty six. I know what I'm good at." Yeah. But some of the assessments were helpful and, and useful. So you know, yes, Sheila, (laughs) you were right, (laughs) but it was like five or six months. So I was doing that and I had decided to do some freelance work because I needed to just pay some bills. So I said, let me do some freelance work. Well, I had a really strong network at the time. And so I was being hired by friends and people I knew and people I had met along the way. And five or six months in, I kind of looked up at my coach one day and I said, well, what if I did this? Like, what if I actually did this? And, and she kind of basically was like, welcome to your future. Like, <laughs> I, I thought we were working together to find me a new job and there was none of that. So once I finally decided to do it, I went around telling people and to a one, not one single person in my life was surprised except me except me. I had no idea I was going to start my own business. And I love this. There was a guy who I've told him this recently. Actually, I was on his podcast uh, recently. A guy who used to work for me. I was hired as the associate publisher of the statewide business magazine, and he was the editor of the magazine. Mm -hmm. And shortly after I started the business, I saw him at an event and I was like, Matt, I started my own business. And his response was, and I quote, yeah. And and I told him that recently. And he was like, I didn't say it to be a jerk. And I was like, oh my God, I know exactly how you said it. He said it as if it was inevitable yeah. that it was going to happen. So why should he be surprised? Yeah. And I was like, hey, look at my new surprise. This is what I'm doing now. And 201, everybody in my life was like, uh huh. Yeah. Stuff uh-huh. like we were all new. We, already waiting knew. Free. We're, we yeah. all knew. We all knew. Yeah, no, for yeah. sure. I totally get it. Well, congratulations. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. So, I like to say my baby is 16 this year. My little marketing business is 16. And I should check my language. She's not little at all. My beautiful marketing business turned 16 this year. And then my infant, my podcast, turned one this year. So, oh, wow. <laughs> so awesome. So I'm a proud mama of two little businesses. (laughs) Oh, and a rambunctious cat who drives me nuts. So, (laughs) but I have my hands full with all my babies. (laughs) I get it. Mine's only four, four. Well, you know what? That's a great age. Mm -hmm. That is a great age for a business. (laughs) And frankly, you know, you're continuing to do it. So that means it's a success already. Well,
1: thank you. Yes. It's all about like never giving up, right? Yeah. It's like no. Yeah, like that that perseverance yeah. is the is is key. Yeah. Right? Just believing, believing.
0: Yeah. Even when you're the only one who believes. Yes. Or even when it feels like you're the only yes. one who believes. Yeah. yeah. There's a little bit of that in the back of my head with my podcast. Because of course we do this and we want to get our message out. and We want to share it with the world. When it's been a little over a year and it's like, oh man, I wish it had grown. I wish it was bigger. I wish I was reaching more people. But you just have to keep going. Just got to keep going. One foot exactly. in front of the other. Exactly. One episode after another. You just exactly. keep going. And just have
1: fun. Yes. Right? Yes. And this stuff is fun. Podcasting is fun fun.
0: Well, you know, I get to have these amazing conversations with people like you where we're strangers to each other at the beginning of the episode and but we do not have the like how are you doing, how's the weather conversations. We get to have like really juicy, fun, mm-hmm. cool conversations. And so, to me, like I could do that and it's like they say I would do that if nobody paid me and I would do that anyway because it's just cool and fun so cool. and kind of lights me up. So anyway, that's my story. Amy, I just want to say thank you so much for being here with me today. This has been wonderful. In all the episodes I've done so far, I hadn't really touched on any mom stuff yet. So it's really interesting to start investigating that angle of these midlife transitions. So Mm -hmm. I appreciate you being so generous with your story. Well, thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure for me as well. Good. Thanks so much for listening today. This conversation reminded me of a concept that I've run into in a couple of books and also in a course I'm taking right now. It's called attunement. So there are a couple of books that have been mentioned in interviews that introduce the concept. In his book, When the Body Says No, Dr. Gabor Mate says that emotions interpret the world for us. They are responses to stimuli filtered through the memory of past experience. But the development of how we experience and deal with our emotions comes from this concept of attunement, which is what happens when our parents and our caregivers show that they are paying attention to our basic needs from our first moments all the way through our childhood. And attunement is absolutely critical for us to develop a foundational feeling of safety and an understanding that we can trust the people closest to us. When we're babies, we can't communicate with words that we're hungry or we're tired or we need comforting or we want engagement or we have a wet diaper. So it's up to the caregiver to interpret a baby's cry and then respond appropriately. And the same thing goes for small children who cannot manage big emotions. It's up to parents or caregivers to help us process and work through those emotions safely until we have the skills to work through them on our own. So attunement is not a nicety. It is an absolute biological need for us to develop securely. And when these needs aren't met, we're likely to develop what's called early childhood or developmental trauma. And then when those issues are left unresolved, attunement wounds can lead to serious interpersonal issues throughout our lives. Here's what Gabor Mate says quote, future relationships will have as their templates, nerve circuits laid down in our relationships with our earliest caregivers. We will understand ourselves as we have felt understood, love ourselves as we perceived being loved on the deepest unconscious levels, care for ourselves with as much compassion as, at our core, we perceived as young children, end quote. And let me add to that some of Bessel van der Kock's thoughts on attunement from his book, The Body Keeps the Score. So this is another one of those that comes up in conversations. He says, as babies, we can't regulate our own emotional states, much less the changes in our physio- physiology that come with them. But associating intense sensations with safety, comfort, and mastery is the foundation of being able to self-regulate, self-soothe and self-nurture and it becomes a key factor in healthy coping throughout our lives. So when mothers or caregivers can't meet a baby's or a child's impulses or needs, things can go wrong. And if the baby or child isn't getting their emotional needs met, that baby or child will discount its inner sensations and try to adjust to the caregiver's needs in a way that leads to the child perceiving that something's wrong with the way that it is. Uh, Let me add another quick quote from, uh, from The Body Keeps the Score. Children who lack Physical attunement are vulnerable to shutting down the direct feedback from their bodies, the seat of pleasure, purpose, and direction. So let's tie all this together. Attunement is how we feel seen, heard, and nurtured in our relationships, starting with our parents and caregivers, which then informs all of our adult relationships. Good attunement creates trust and rapport in relationships. So having all this as a baseline definition, you can, and you can understand why Amy had issues with her romantic relationships throughout her life. And I'm beginning to understand a little bit more about why I had similar issues in friendships and romantic relationships myself. From her earliest moments, Amy's basic needs weren't being met, not because her mom was a bad person or even neglectful, but because she had her hands full and was probably overwhelmed herself. And even though her mom was doing her best, it still left some wounds that Amy had to first understand were causing problems, then identify, and then deal with and work through. Amy described it as um, frustration from calling and crying for for her mother who never came. And I found a great blog post from a site called goodtherapy.com that included an example that I think is pretty easy to relate to. And I'll share a quote here. One step required for emotional attunement is safety. If you don't feel safe expressing your emotions, attunement will be difficult. Safety is created with both verbal and nonverbal cues. For instance, if the person you're in relationship with, a friend, a co-worker, a parent, shuts down and emotionally withdraws whenever you express anger, you'll quickly learn they are not a safe person for you to be angry around. You won't want to clue them into how you're feeling because it's worse than keeping your anger bottled up. End quote. I'm going to put a link to that blog post in my show notes in case you're interested in reading more about it. It was very well written and very easy to understand, so I recommend it. So if you're someone who's feeling the ick and you've got some relationship patterns that you keep repeating over and over again, like I did and like Amy did, maybe it's time to consider that there may have been things that happened before we could speak or before we were old enough or strong enough to advocate for ourselves that left cracks or pockets or voids in our emotional skills that we've been working around for most of our lives. And that one really good way to break out of those patterns is to start looking at where the problem came from instead of focusing on the symptoms as I did and as Amy did and many of us do. Hmm. Whew, that was a lot. I hope I didn't overwhelm you there. I just got really excited when I started to see connections between Amy's story and my own and a lot of the stuff I've been reading along the way and some of these conversations I've been having. Um, It's fun to start seeing these connections come together. So I'd be curious if after hearing all of that, you have any other thoughts or comments on the topic. I would love to hear them. Feel free to drop me a line, stephanie at 40drinks.com, and I may include them in an upcoming episode. All righty. Next week, you're going to meet Aveline Clark, who had a messy five years she had to navigate before she could get back on the path of her life. And she introduced me to the concept of spiritual gaslighting. As in, you attracted him for a reason, which was a really interesting one to explore. So I hope you'll join me next week for that conversation. The 40 Drinks Podcast is produced and presented by Savoie Fair Marketing Communications.